Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we continue our series with Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, looking at human DNA's big surprise. First, though, I want to tell you about Meeting the Mission, our special effort to match the $1 million gift SWRC has been blessed with. When you give to Southwest Radio Ministries, your gift will be matched. You'll double your impact and ensure that Watchmen on the Wall and all of our ministries will be able to bring clarity to the chaos for many years to come. Would you consider giving $90 in recognition of our 90th anniversary? Like all gifts given at this time, your support will be doubled and will go toward meeting the match. 1-800-652-1144. That's the number to call and show your support. You can also be part of the match by giving on our website, supportswrc.com. That's supportswrc.com. To give on your mobile device, simply text 9490 to 91999. That's 90-F-O-R-9-0 to the number 91999. Thank you for your support of Watchmen on the Wall and Southwest Radio Ministries. Now let's go back into the studio and join our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, and his guest, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, for part two of their discussion on human DNA's big surprise. Our guest is Dr. Nathaniel Jensen. He is a research biologist with Answers in Genesis. He holds a PhD from Harvard in cell and developmental biology, and he believes the Bible from cover to cover. Dr. Jensen, welcome back to our program. Thanks so much for having me on, Pastor Larry. Down through the history of man, there have always been racial biases. Some have led to wars and even wars today, conflicts, hatred, anger, and so forth. And there are many so-called racial barriers today. So how does your research solve so many of the racial problems that we still have to deal with today? In one sense, I'd say it fundamentally changes our vocabulary. When we talk about races, we naturally have an image that comes to our mind, or if we talk about skin tone or black, white, these sorts of terms, immediately evokes a mental picture. What this research shows, and the research specifically, is tracing the history of peoples through their DNA. What this research shows is that one people group has become another people group, that one so-called race has become another sort of race. To give a specific example, there are light-skinned people of European descent whose ancestry a thousand years ago traces back to Central Asia. Most Europeans, in fact, trace their ancestry back to Central Asia. And so my ancestors, I've had my DNA tested, probably looked more Chinese in the Middle Ages than they did like the ancient Romans. One of the most fascinating stories. There are light-skinned, light-haired Scandinavians. So people in the United States of Scandinavian descent, this may be their story. There are light-skinned Scandinavians whose ancestry goes back maybe a thousand years to the olive-skinned, dark-haired Arabs. Hmm. The Arabs, of course... Their story, in a sense, begins about the 600s A.D. with Muhammad and his conquest, but the people themselves have an even deeper history that goes back to northeast Africa and likely connects to the ancient Nubians, some of the darkest-skinned, tallest people on the planet. And the story doesn't stop there. The Nubians have a long history of engagement with ancient Egypt and even sat on the throne of Egypt. So there's some Scandinavians, there's probably some Scandinavian Americans who have a bloodline that connects back to the ancient pharaohs. Mm -hmm. So is that much change 
has transpired in human history. How can you even talk about white, black, red, yellow, these sorts of things, when it's, in a sense, almost fluid from generation to generation? It's changed so many times. How can someone even try to come up with some argument for racial superiority, racial inferiority? Now, of course, you know, if we pause and think about the big picture, you think about what happened in Rwanda, you don't really need a great big ethnic physical difference to come up with some sort of justification for slaughter and genocide. It's built into our sinful, depraved human nature. We need the gospel. But if you're thinking about the science behind it all, the so-called races have changed so many times in human history. It absolutely destroys any attempt to come up with an argument for racial inferiority, racial superiority. All that just disappears. That's amazing, I think. We have this idea of racial superiority, and I'm better than you, and so forth, and I think your presentation in the last few minutes has demolished that demon of racial superiority. So, another question. Who are the Palestinians? Some claim they were the original inhabitants of Canaan, and the land of Israel belongs to them. Others say that the original inhabitants of Canaan were wiped out during the conquest, and that the Palestinians today come from Some come from the Balkans, some come from Egypt, from Bulgaria, some from Pakistan, and so forth. So what does your genetic research tell us about the Palestinian people? That's a great question. Let's first think biblically, because this is something I've had to go back to again and again, using the concordance. I'm not a Hebrew guy, but Mm. Strong's Concordance, you can go to Genesis 10, (laughs) click on one of the numbers or one of the names, and say, okay, what, what does the rest of Scripture say about the fate of these people? The Canaanites, so Canaan is a son of Ham, and Canaan himself in Genesis 10 is a number of descendants. What does the Bible say? If you trace those names throughout Scripture, what do you find? Yes, God commands the Israelites to go and wipe them out. But you get to Judges chapter 3, and the Bible says explicitly that the daughters of Canaan were given to the sons of Israel, and the daughters of Israel were given to the sons of Canaan. Mm. They were disobedient, the Israelites were, and freely intermingling with these peoples. Mm. And of course, the rest of the book of Judges show a deeper and deeper and deeper decline of the spiritual state of Israel with some very graphic, ugly history at the end of the book showing that Israel basically had become worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. So they definitely persisted. You go to First Kings chapter 9, talks about there were still remnants of the Amorites and others in Solomon's day. They persisted scripturally for quite some time. That's, I think, the first thing to consider. Yes, the Israelites were commanded to wipe them out, but they failed. They disobeyed, mm-hmm, and right. these peoples persisted for quite some time. They were in the land, so you go back to the, the promises to Abraham. God calls them out of Ur and shows them the promised land. Abraham asks God, how do I know that I'm going to inherit this land? And God says, well, here's what's going to happen. Your descendants are going to be enslaved. The iniquity of the Amorites, which are descendants of Canaan, is not yet complete. So once they had sinned so much, God said, judgment's going to fall. Then God would bring the Israelites out of Egypt and conquer Canaan, which, again, they failed to do completely as God had instructed. That's the biblical side. It's been transformative for me just to sit and chew on that because there's so much there. There's so many clues in Scripture to people groups and their fates. That's one element. The second element, before we get to the modern Palestinians, I want to think about the ancient history because I find this fascinating. I grew up, yes, we take world history, we, we hear about the ancient Near East, but you grew up in church, you hear about ancient Assyria, mm-hmm. ancient Babylon, ancient Persia, all these great empires that play such a monumental role in Israel's history. Assyria conquering the northern tribes, Babylon conquering the southern tribes, and then King Cyrus the Persians conquering the Babylonians, and then sending some of the captives back to the land of Israel. And there's just so much biblical history tied up with those 
right. ancient empires, I've wondered as well, can we find them? Can you find modern descendants of Assyrians? So the reason I'm bringing this up is, number one, we do have biblical data. Asher, son of Shem, is what we translate as Assyria in the Book of Kings. There's a link there biblically between the two. I say that because I haven't yet been able to find, yet, in the family tree, the echo of that linkage. I say yet because 99% of the world's men have yet to get their DNA tested, so I have a feeling it's still out there, just undetected. We have a very clear signature of the Persians, but what I've just been able to discover within the last year, so the book Traced came out March of 2022. This is now research that's ongoing and, and new discoveries. I think I have now found a link to ancient Assyria and or Babylon. Mm. It looks like the echo is tied to descendants of Canaan. Now, what in the world is going on there? If you look in secular history, the secular history textbooks, talking about the ancient Near East, mention the Amorites as being a pervasive people, and some of the old Babylonians, you know, pre-Nebuchadnezzar, apparently, like Hammurabi, boasted of Amorite ancestry. Hmm. So it seems that these Amorite peoples were all throughout Mesopotamia, and I think we finally found a link. So when you think about biblical history, it tends to focus on what's now the Dead Sea area, sort of western Mesopotamia, and you've got Assyria, Babylon, so forth, and eastern Mesopotamia. It seems like some of the Canaanites had a very significant influence over there and may have descendants to this day. And to make it even wilder, there are people in Europe who can trace their ancestry back to these ancient Mesopotamians and probably the Amorites in ways that just blow your mind. So all that to say, the modern Palestinians have a whole diversity of peoples that they come from, and that's not surprising because that's basically true for every people group around the globe. We're all a great mix of peoples. So you've got linkages to the ancient Persians. You've got linkages to Canaan. You've got linkages to Central Asians that link back to the Middle East. You've got linkages to Africa, because there was a long history of interaction between Northeast Africa and Arabia. Now, add in a personal note here, I've been able to speak to hundreds of Muslims. This has been shocking to me. I didn't think they'd be that interested, but (laughs) I've discovered there's this huge debate happening right now in the Middle East as to who the true Arabs are, to the extent that if you don't belong to the appropriate lineage, you get your DNA tested, and oh, that's not the true Arab lineage, they'll Mm. scratch you out of the family tree. Mm. That's how contentious this topic is. So I realized I walked into a minefield once I started talking with them. (laughs) They're, of course, very interested as well in knowing, do they connect to Ishmael? And this is perhaps the last point in a much larger story. We have found a positive identification for the line of Abraham. I talk about it in the book Trace. I lean towards it being one of the lines of Israel. I still kind of lean that way, but in talking to Muslims, I realize, well, there's also the possibility, you know, Abraham also is the father of Ishmael, as well as Isaac. So there's a ton of research still happening. But we do have a lineage that I can say this is Abrahamic. It's a very small minority in the globe today and even in the Middle East. But it's there. It's detectable. And there's a lot more still to be uncovered. This kind of sketches a wider, complex picture of the history of Palestine and its history we're still working out to this day. What do your genetic discoveries reveal about the origins of the early inhabitants of America? This is another wild story that (laughs) I I don't think I ever dreamed I'd be working on. I grew up knowing next to nothing about the Americas, thinking back to history in high school, U.S. history. I basically learned Columbus came, and then if you think about North America, what's now the United States, then fast forward to the Pilgrims. Columbus, 1492, Pilgrims about 1620, first Thanksgiving. Then you have 1776, origin of the United States, after the 13 colonies. And it's at that point that I tended, 
from my memory, we tended to learn about the peoples that were here, East Coast tribes like the Iroquois Confederacy and mm. the Massachusetts right. Indians. And if you go further westward, you run into, or south, you know, southeastern United States, the Chickasaw and the Choctaw. You go to the west, there's the Sioux, the Lakotas and the Dakotas and southwest Navajos. But there never was any story, no history as to what these people were doing for thousands of years before Europeans arrived. It was always a big blank for me. So to now be working on this question is sometimes I have to pinch myself saying, I can't believe I'm actually working on this. Cause right. It was such a big question for me. So one of the most revolutionary things we've learned is that the Americas was an extremely dynamic place. The genetic lineages that we have for the Native Americans show that there have been multiple settlings of the Americas from Asia in the thousands of years prior to the arrival of Europeans. In the last 2,000 years, there was a major settling, a movement of a group of people from probably Central Asia, about the 400s, 500s AD, came across perhaps the Bering Strait, migrated up and down the Americas, and took over from those people who were here. There was another settling about the 900s AD, again, movement from the Siberia, Central Asia area, gave rise to the Delaware Indians, among others. We've just been able to connect some of these dots within the last year, and I want to make a shout-out as well to our Answers in Genesis YouTube channel, where I'm going to have a video on this talking about some of the new dots we've connected for the Delaware story. It's just wild. But that's the last 2,000 years. What about the first 2,000, 2,500 years since the flood? This is research for which we do not yet have good genetic data. It's one of the projects that we're hot in pursuit of, because there's so much history to be rewritten, it seems, for the pre-Columbian Americas. This is stuff I never would have guessed is true. And what's even crazier is the natives themselves have told histories that agree almost point for point with what I've just described. They talk about there being people here before they arrived. They talk about arrival about the four, five, six hundreds A.D. The Aztecs mentioned this. The Incas mentioned this. Of course, mainstream science tends to just dismiss it. And lo and behold, it's the biblical framework, the biblical time scale, the biblical history going back to Noah that returns the natives' history back to them and says, yeah, your ancestors weren't dumb. They knew what they were talking about. They recorded their history. And now we've been able to confirm that with modern genetics and, of course, then extend it back to Noah. This is one of the most explosive areas of research in which creation scientists are now taking the lead and rewriting what we thought we knew and filling in big gaps that no one had the answers to. Fantastic. What about the so-called, quote, racial variations, dark, light skin, different textures of hair, different eye shapes? How do these variations develop into the human race? For the vast majority of them, I'd say the short answer is God hardwired the information for it into Adam and Eve. Mm. And of course, then it would have been passed on to Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. One of the things that I really appreciate about Answers in Genesis, so we're the ones at the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter, here in northern Kentucky. If you all are able to visit the Ark Encounter, anyone who visits there, I like to point out and say, take a good look at how we've depicted Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives. They're not all pasty, light-skinned European descent people. There's a mixture of features because some of it's based on the genetic lineages that we can see, the family trees we've been able to uncover, but also just basic genetics says to produce light skin, dark skin, tight, coily hair, straight hair, dark hair, light hair, green eyes, blue eyes, all this sort of stuff. If you hard code that into people from the start, you can produce all of these variations, ethnic groups, so-called races, in a generational heartbeat of time. God hardwired into these ancestors the information for the spectrum of light and dark skin, for the spectrum of eye colors, for the spectrum of hair colors and types. So we're all related. We're all part of 
one race, the human race, and God equipped our ancestors genetically with the capacity to produce a whole great variation in a very short amount of time. And so, of course, that raises the question, why do we have the so-called races? Babel is what explains it. We were all once an intermixing group of people, but because our ancestors rebelled against God, didn't spread out, but said, no, we're going to make a tower, so it reaches up to heaven. God forced them to spread out, and so they stuck to their own language groups naturally, and that's what led to the so-called races, ethnic groups that we see today. Well, the sons of Noah, they're named in the Bible, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Where are their descendants located today, or is it just kind of a mixed-up situation? It is, in one sense, the latter, but in another sense, it's kind of both. You can clearly see descendants of Japheth in Europe, but those descendants are minority because there's been a migration and rapid proliferation of people of Central Asian descent within the last thousand years, and those people happen to come from Shem. I can say this because I can see the connection genetically. Did Ham give rise to many peoples of Africa? Yes. But did many other descendants of Ham go all over the globe? Yes. Mm. So there's clearly identifiable subgroups that I can trace back to specific sons of Noah and say, yeah, these people have been here for a long time, but there's been so much movement all right. throughout human history. And right. I feel like you can even make an argument from Scripture that this movement happened almost immediately after Babel. It happened at Babel, and then right after Babel, because people are sinful and they migrate and conquer and rape and pillage and slaughter. People have been doing that all throughout human history. It's sad, but it also leaves a very clear genetic echo, and that's apparent in the family tree of humanity as well. Amen. Well, Dr. Jensen, thank you so much for these two sessions. I enjoyed speaking to you and also enjoyed reading your book, The Bible Stands Up Quite Well Under Close Scrutiny, and you proved that, so thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Larry. Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise, is the brand new book by today's guest, It's groundbreaking scientific research that provides revolutionary discoveries about race, ethnicity, and even human history. And it's only possible because the researcher, Harvard-trained Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, starts with the history and the timeline God has given us in His Word. The Rosetta Stone of human history has been discovered, and it confirms the history starting in God's Word and makes stunning discoveries about who we are, where we came from, and what happened to our ancestors. Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise, is available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can visit our website, swrc.com. Now it's time to ask Pastor Larry a Bible-related question. Let us know if you have a question for Pastor Larry. Simply email askpastorlarry at swrc.com. That's askpastorlarry at swrc.com. Pastor Larry, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is a period of time toward the end of history in which God pours forth his judgment on the wicked. Though the term day of man is not used in scripture, those words day of man could very well describe the present era. God seems to be in the shadows. Evil is rampant. The wicked prosper and in many cases continue to carry on their evil with seemingly no consequences. 
in the day of the Lord, that will stop. There will be justice, and there will be no escape. We can therefore say that the day of the Lord is the day of reversal and a day of surprise. Amos 5, verses 18 through 20 says this, quote, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? In Isaiah chapter 13, the prophet begins by speaking of Babylon. In this context, the destruction of Babylon on the day of the Lord could refer to the historical destruction of Babylon by the Persians. But as we move into the chapter, we see that the day of the Lord in this chapter is attended by cosmic events in the heavens, events which did not occur in the past. In Isaiah 13, verse 6 and following, the Bible says, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid, pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Close quotes. And then in verse 10 and following of Isaiah 13, the judgments of the day of the Lord take on universal proportions. Quote, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible, close quotes. So in these verses, there is destruction. Men's hearts shall melt, there will be fear. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. Behold, we read, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger. An important question has to do with the length of the day of the Lord and what time period is included in the day of the Lord. When does it begin and when does it end? Some refer the day of the Lord only to the years of the tribulation period. Others say it includes the second coming of Christ to the earth and the horrific judgments connected with that event. I like the way Harry Ironside explains the day of the Lord and I quote him. When at last the day of grace is ended, the day of the Lord will succeed it. The day of the Lord follows the rapture, close quotes. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 and following, the Bible says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The fact that, quote, they shall not escape indicates that the rapture has already occurred, the saints have already been taken to heaven, those who remain shall not escape the judgments of the day of the Lord. Supporting this conclusion that the day of the Lord occurs following the rapture is the fact that the judgments of the day of the Lord fall upon Israel. 
The day of the Lord does not seem to fit in the church age. The church age is the day of grace. For example, in Zechariah chapter 14, the words day of the Lord or that day appear multiple times during a period of time leading up to the second coming of Christ to establish his kingdom on the earth. Zechariah 14 verse 1 and following proclaim the following words. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle." Close quotes. Zechariah 14, verses 8 and 9, reveal the following, quote, And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. This clearly is speaking about the kingdom age, the millennial reign of Christ on earth. In chapter 13 of Zechariah, immediately preceding this glorious return of Jesus Christ, we read of Israel's confession and mourning for sin. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. I am so glad that God has revealed all of this in his blessed word. Israel repents and is purified. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9 tell us, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. We are living in tough times. The Palestinians are sending rockets into Israel. Iran is rattling its sabers, and America is in sorry shape. But this is not the end of the story. There are some very dramatic and very frightening things that will come to pass. Look up, friends. Jesus is coming. Do you know him? I didn't say, do you know about him, but rather... Do you know him in a personal way, the way of individual encounter and personal transformation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The brand new book, Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise, is available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also visit our website, swrc.com. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. 
Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.